Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 15 years. And we have four kids. That's like a thousand kids. We've been foster parents to four kids as well. And we're running a business together. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things, this is Rise Together. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Rise Together podcast. I am your host solo today, Dave Hollis, Rachel Hollis, not here because I'm hanging out with a friend, a scholar, an author of high regard, uh, my friend David Bach. Uh, If you do not know David, well, one, you should. It's part of why we're having a conversation. But two, it's probably because you have been living under a rock. I mean, this man... (laughs) has a prolific history in uh, writing books and in those uh, books, helping people get out of their own financial way, uh, for lack of a better word. Uh, His company, Finish Rich Media, is responsible for a lot of unbelievable resources inside of the financial world for humans, maybe more so for women than for men. And his most recent book, The Latte Factor, was the 10th of his New York Times bestselling books, 10 New York Times bestselling books. I have zero New York Times bestselling books. I'd like one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome David Bach to the show. Buddy, good to be with you in the house here in Puerto Rico. We are hanging out in Puerto Rico. It's not a usual thing, you and I hanging out in Puerto Rico, but dang it, the two times that we have now, (laughs) it's been good. (laughs) Amazing. Well, it's so good to be with you. And I'm so grateful for our new friendship. We had an incredible sushi dinner the other night. And I mean, I just love and respect what you and Rachel are doing. It's incredible. And so it's an honor to be with you now on your podcast. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Uh, We are doing this thing. It's a little unusual. Mastermind may be a foreign term, but it's this idea of bringing humans who have a variety of experiences together to sit around a table and listen to the things that you have going on in your life or in your business and in your individual expertise that may be different from theirs pouring into and helping problem solve the things that they're up to. And last year, and we've talked about it a handful of times, but last year we were here, Rachel and I, with this group of esteemed human beings, David among them. And as we go around the table, everyone's given their tips and tricks on how to hack their business and manage their growing teams and solve the issue of how to serve more people better. And David had posed this question while we were on that trip a year ago that still sits as one of the most incredible questions of the last year. And that was, what if you only had a couple of years left to live? What if you had two years specifically left to live? You've made a lot of life change in the last two years of life. How much is that question that has, man, been such an important thing in our life changed the way that you've organized yours? Yeah, it's such a good question. You just gave me chills because it brought me back to where we were almost a year ago when when I said that. So what happened is a good friend of ours, Brendan Burchard, gave us a challenge. He said, I'd like all of you in this, our mastermind, to share a thought and a challenge to the group. And I just just want to tell everybody who's listening right now what what I said, because I think it's something important for you to think about right now, which is, and it's where I am in my life. I said, guys, and this is true, I have just spent the last three years going around the country specifically doing financial education and talking to our clients. 
and I own a, a piece, I'm a co-founder of a registered investment advisor. Our clients are for the most part retired and they are between the ages 65 and 85. And so as I, as I went around the country for the th- last three years, I talked about the fact that there are these three stages to retirement. The first stage is what's known as the go-go stage. You, you, you work your whole life and you get into your 60s and you finally have some, some freedom, some time, and you hopefully have money and health. And then you just want to go, go, go. You want to like, you want to get all those checklists done. You want to, you know, the bucket list, which is a horrible phrase, by the way, bucket list, because it <laughs> assumes you're going to die. I call it your dream list. But um, the 60s, 60s to 75 are the go-go years. You're super active. You're, hopefully, you're healthy. You have your spouse. You have your kids. And you try to squeeze the best part of your life into that, into that time frame. And then the 70s are called the slower go years. And that's when your health starts to deteriorate and you don't move around as fast. It's just the way life starts to work. And then the 80s are often the won't-go years. And, and like in, that, in this case, like right now, what I'm living through is with my dad, he, he can't go on trips because his health is deteriorating significantly. Yeah. He's 79. And so as I was traveling the country taking this in, I was in I'm, I'm in my early 50s. And the, the aha moment that I had was, okay, well, I have, I, I'm very fortunate because of where I'm in my life. I have financial freedom to move my go-go years up. Like, I don't have to wait until I'm 60 or 65. I don't necessarily need to retire, but I had this moment of like, I need to move my go-go years up. I need to be living my richest life now. I need to, I need to personally stop waiting. By the way, you said at the table on that day, that the most prolific, the healthiest, the best next, the best 10 years of our life were the next 10 years. And of course, that is the truth, but until you set it, it right. set a frame for us to think about it. I think we take for granted that the next the year, next. the next two years, the next five years are always gonna be the best years in terms of our health. It's crazy. And, and you're, no, you're exactly right. And, and, and that's true for anyone who you're listing right now, the next 10 years, are going to be the healthiest of your life. That's just, it's very rare that 10, 15, 20 years from now, you know, everybody's on into biohacking, but realistically, these next 10 years are the healthiest of your life. So I said to our mastermind group, because I'm one of the older people in the group, a lot of you are in your 30s and your early 40s, I said, guys, you also think because you have so much energy right now that you've got this 50, 60, 70 years left of your life to just do all the stuff. And I'm like, you need to stop thinking like that. And my challenge to the group, and I would say this to you right now listening is, the next 10 years are the healthiest of your life. So you need to stop waiting and make this next decade the best of your life. And the way to get there faster is to shrink the time frame and ask yourself the question, if you only had two years left to live, what would you be doing now? I love it. I mean, what's interesting is the idea of accelerating your go-go years is kind of like at the cornerstone of the mission of your work. Completely. <laughs> you know, I wrote all these books, Smart Women Finish Rich, Smart Couples Finish Rich, Start Late Finish Rich. But at the core of the book, it wasn't about finishing with money. It was about getting to the point where you could start living rich now. So you asked me a question like, how has it impacted me? I was writing The Latte Factor. And The Latte Factor is not a book about giving up your coffee <laughs> and, not spend, and just not spending $5 a day. It's a story that takes place around a millennial where she learns how to go for her dreams, where she learns how to stop being scared and, and find her voice and find her courage. And by going through her journey, you, be, you begin to find your own voice, your own courage, your own soul message, and you learn how to live what I call a life of yes. And so as I'm right, and, and in the story, uh, Zoe Daniels, who, who goes through this journey, 
she ultimately starts, she's got an incredible job, but she realizes like, it's not everything that she wants. She's a, she's a travel writer. She's a travel editor who never travels. Like she's got this job in New York City. She's working 24 seven and she doesn't even have a passport at the time. <laughs> so her dream is to start traveling, but she's like thinking, I'm gonna have to wait my whole life to travel. And she learns that no, she could actually start traveling earlier. And she takes this mini sabbatical. And as I was writing the book, I was working on my own transformation and my transformation and my family's transformation, which was we had a plan. We worked on it for two years and we picked up after the book. So I had a whole plan, put the book out, tour America. And then my family and I picked up and moved to Florence, Italy. So as I sit here with you, I'm like in a very special spot in my life where my family and I have been living in Florence, Italy now for seven months. It has been, I mean, I'm pinching myself this morning, a completely life changing experience, not just for me, but for my wife and my kids and our family because we're going through it together. All right. This is a big, huge thing because when you were talking about doing this, it had not yet happened. And it's now a thing that has. And in having had this sushi dinner with you the other night, I know it's going well. Yeah. But when you first conceive of this idea, you have a wife, you have children, you are also a blended family. Yep. There's, you know, it's not as easy as, hey, let's roll to Florence. What, what did you, go, what was the process to kind of get everybody on yeah. this, like, oh, yeah, man. feeling I mean, as excited. I'm like, the hair on my, on my go, arms is David. going up. You know, so, because what happens when people hear that, they go, there's always say there's three types of people that go, oh man, look at him, he's so lucky. And, and they're resentful. There are those who go, oh, that's really cool that you could do that. And then there are those who say, man, that's amazing that you could do that. How could I do that too? Yep. So first thing I would tell you is it took planning. But before the planning, it took the idea. So I literally, on a random flight home from Topeka, Kansas, where my company is based, I had a person sitting next to me who had a, this is a true story, this isn't going to be in my new book. I'm sitting next to somebody who, you know, you, you know, you sit down on a plane, but you don't really want to talk. You just kind of want, you know, you usually get your Every ear, time I get on the right? plane, you have yes. your earphones and you just want to like get in your zone and either go to sleep, but you don't want to talk to the stranger. Well, there's a stranger next to me. And the first thing he does is he looks over me and he goes, Hey, how are you? And he like introduces himself to me and he tells me his name and he says, I'm getting ready to retire in 56 days. <laughs> like, and meanwhile, this is what I do for a living, all right? You do. So he opens up his phone and I go, what? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I've got a calculator. You want to see it? And he opens up his phone and he shows me this retirement calculator and it's got retiring in 56 days and whatever, 12 hours. And it's got the whole thing and it's just calculating it. He goes, I've been working on my retirement plan for five years and I'm retiring at 55. And he goes, what are you excited to go do? What's the next fun thing that's going to happen in your life? Seed planted. Seed planted. <laughs> and so like, you know, I'm, I end up having this conversation with him. And then at a certain point, I open up my lap. I'm like, okay, thank you. It's great talking to you. And I open up my laptop and I start writing and I journal every day. And I know you guys are huge. You have, you have your yeah. amazing journals. You guys are the ultimate proponents for journaling. I've been journaling my whole life. I journal in old school journals and I journal in my laptop. And I open up my journal and I ask myself the question, what is something that I could look forward to that would be really fun for not just me, but my family? Yeah. And I proceed to write out, you know what would be really fun? Take my family to go live abroad the year that my son, Jack, is, is a sophomore. 
So, and, the, and there, were, there were reasons behind this. Being that sophomore year, I felt, was the easiest year to relocate him yeah. before he goes off to college. The other thing was there was urgency. I wanted my family to live abroad before he goes to college. And like you said, I have a blended family. So Jack's from my first marriage. His mom's incredible. She's remarried. I'm remarried. We both had kids with our spouses. But we share custody of Jack. Yeah. And I had to first put in place the idea, could we get permission to bring him? I had to convince my wife to want to go away for a year. Um, so I came home and said, honey, what do you think of the idea of, of us moving away for a year and taking the kids when Jack's 16, sophomore year, abroad? And she said to me, what? <laughs> what? Yes. You're running all these businesses. You've got books. I had four books. I had three books that I committed to update. Smart Women Finish Rich, Smart Couples Finish Rich, and The Aut Automatic Millionaire. Those are three New York Times bestselling books that have all done a million copies. Updating them was like writing a whole book from scratch. Oh. So I had, I had already committed to those three books, and I wanted to put out and write and sell The Latte Factor. And I had started as a co-founder of this financial service company. And I was running my media company. And you had a she, lot of reasons not to do it. She had, and she looked at me and she's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean move abroad? How are you going to convince Jack's mom, Michelle, let you do this? Like, where would we go? And I said, honey, let's just play along for a second. Where would you want to go? Right? So that started the conversation. And we started talking about where would we want to go? And then we started working on the plan. And it was hard. There were lots of things to figure out. But I will tell you this, the beauty of having a plan. Really, it's a deadline, right? Like anybody's listening to this, they go, God, that'd be incredible. It starts with deciding what you want to do, being really clear on the why, right? Because it's like, oh, I want to go live in a foreign country. It's not as big of a deal as like, why do I want to do it? I wanted to go because I want my family to have a transformational growth experience before my kids are gone, that's a good that, why. That was the That's why. That's a good why. Right? Like, I, I don't know yeah. what else could be more important. The beauty of it has been it's been completely transformational. But getting there was a, was a bitch. Can yeah. you say that on a podcast? I think you can. Even just the process of getting uh, an ex a visa in a foreign country is not easy. Like what we had to go through, but first of all, we had to decide where we wanted to live. Then we had to get our kids into school. Then we had to get a visa. Um, it took a lot. And we had planned to go for one year, which we're in that one year journey right now. Now we're now the kids are so happy and we're all so happy living in Florence. We're actually considering staying. So um, good. But, you know, it's transformed um, our kids lives. It's transformed our family's life. It's been better than anything I could have hoped for. And I was thinking about this this morning. What's the big thing that it did for us? Because not everybody can pick up and go abroad for a year. What it did is it, it picked up my family and it got us out of our bubble. And I don't think we even realized how much of a, of a I think we, we live a very conscious, active lifestyle, but I've been living in New York for 18 years. My kids only know Manhattan. Yeah. And our lives have become somewhat routine. And what, what moving abroad does is it, as a family unit, is it forces you to grow. And that's not always easy, by yeah. the way. Growth sometimes with kids and a wife and you're together and like your new country and new language has its challenges. It also provides context. Like, the, like I found when we've traveled at all, just the recognition of the things that matter so much in Austin, Texas, yes. the things that matter so much in our headquarters, the things that matter so much inside our family unit are not even on the list of a, the top 100 things that matter in this city that we're now sitting inside of. And it uh, like it, there's a freedom in appreciating that, wow, 
maybe there's a ridiculousness to having given so much weight to this thing that matters there but not here. Okay, so let me give you a great example of that. When we moved to Florence, we took, we sold our home in Manhattan, one of our homes. We put everything in storage. We, we moved to Florence, which is the easiest way to do this, by the way. We moved to a community and moved into a turnkey apartment. It's like an Airbnb apartment, right? We just moved, got it for a year. It's yeah. furnished. All we had to do is bring our luggage, which was two bags each. So we all we brought was our clothes and our toothbrush. So before we threw everything in storage, first question was, what do we actually want to see again in a year or two? Well, that was interesting because there's a lot of stuff in our apartment we realized we didn't need it anymore. Now I can tell you, Dave, I've been gone for seven months. A, I don't remember what went in storage. And B, I haven't missed a single... Didn't need it. A single thing, yeah. right? So we moved into a fully done apartment. By the way, it's a third the cost to live in Florence than it is to live in Manhattan. That's a remarkable. Um, but th what matters is not what's in that apartment. What matters is, is the experiences that my family is having in a new community. And I will say that the, the unique thing about Italy, because I could become like an, a salesperson for Italy now. I'm such a fan. What's unique about Italian culture is they epitomize living rich now. Italians will tell you that they don't live to work. They work to live. Yeah. And I, and I think, like, like, hear that again. Like, they don't live to work. In America, we live to work. In America, the average American takes five days a year of vacation. The average American doesn't use their vacation time. Um, we don't take breaks. The, when you go to Europe, Europe shuts down in August. Like, yeah. like when we, we got to, we, <laughs> the cameraman's laughing. We, because we're in Puerto Rico, they understand this too. We got to um, Florence in July. And then when you went to the little stores in our neighborhood, they, they had signs saying like, we'll be, they we're leaving August 1st and we'll be back like September 5th. And they just shut down. Goodbye. Because they go to the beach. Yeah. And they're with their families. People have, on average, two-hour lunches every day. They have three-hour dinners. They do it with their family and their friends. And they connect in a way that we don't connect enough in America. And it's, it's, it's brought us back to um, the pace of life. Yeah. And I don't think we recognized how much we were out of the pace. Our pace of life in Manhattan, we thought it was normal. And it took us, it's still, we're still decompressing. In that us. bubble, it was normal. In that bubble, it was right? normal. All right. So if someone's listening and they, like, before I even say it, like your physical health, your, your mental health, like the, all the healths and financial freedom, those are the two components that we are like big all the yep. time on man being such important cornerstones for how to um, get control of your life and do, frankly, almost anything. Financial freedom is like it's the calling of your life so if someone's listening they're like oh it must be nice right they find themselves yeah. in that first bucket of like oh it must be nice but i don't have the financial freedom talk a little bit about your pursuit your passion the calling the reason for these 10 new york times best-selling books like what was it that had you say you know what, i have to write this and as you saw success yeah. i mean you were the today show contributor for you know, whatever it was four years five years yeah. many years um there obviously is something in your message that sticks, but it was motivated by something inside of you. Talk a little bit about what, like, what, what was yeah, it? Yeah, well, I mean, so I, I had a really unique upbringing. Um, I learned about money from my grandmother. So my grandma rose in the first book I wrote, Smart Women Finish Riches, dedicated her. She was really my first money mentor. My grandmother was from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, did not have a college education, and did not have money until she decided at 30 that she was tired of being poor. 
So the story that my grandmother shared with us was at 30, she turned to my grandfather, Jack, and she said, this is not working when you're the guy and your wife says, this is not working. You're like, what do you mean this is not working? <laughs> and she's like, in case you haven't noticed, honey, we're poor. And he said to her, oh, you're just, you know, you're overreacting, which by the way, that, 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 those words, gentlemen, that they never work. They didn't work when my grandfather said it. They don't work when we say it, right? You're overreacting. And she's like, I'm not overreacting, right? We, we don't have any money. And if we don't change, nothing's going to change. And so she took it upon herself at the time to start taking 50 cents out of each of their paychecks, putting it in a coffee can, saving that money, brown bagging her lunch, and learning how to invest and eventually investing in the stock market, taught herself how to buy stocks, and she over her lifetime became a self-made millionaire. Wow. Which is, and she's, this is a woman who sold wigs at Gimbel's department store. And, and so when I was a kid, she taught me how to buy my first stock in McDonald's at age seven. And there's a whole story behind that, but like it, that changed my life. And then my dad, she influenced my father. My father was at the time a, a stock broker. They call him today, it's a financial advisor. But I started going to my dad's investment classes at nine years old because basically my mom had a book club and one night a week she wanted off. And that was the night my dad taught classes. So I got dressed up in a suit and tie, brought to my dad's <laughs> classes. And my job was to hand out the stuff in the beginning of the class, which amazingly on the Latte Factor tour, I just did an event for my family because my family is still in the business. My sister runs the Bach group. That group manages over $1.2 billion. And that group, I'm doing an event for our clients. And I told that story about being nine years old. And there's a client of ours that to this day is still alive and was in that room. Unreal. And it was in San Leandro, California. And he was like, David, I was there. I remember this moment. Wow. And so I was like, and I looked at my wife. I'm like, see these stories that I tell you? They're true. They're actually, yeah. <laughs> Here's the person. <laughs> and it was great because all these people that are in my books were in that room that day. Like there's a woman, Lynn Hadley, who's in The Automatic Millionaire. And we went on Oprah together. And she was in the room. There was a woman in that room that was at my first workshop that I ever taught, which was Smart Women Finish Rich. So how I got into this is that I thought, naively, all women were like Grandma Bach, in charge of the family money. That's how I was raised. And I became a financial advisor alongside with my father. And we had a lot of older clients because that's what happens when you're an advisor. You have retired clients. And I started sitting in meetings with widows where one after another, the husbands were dying. And the, and the wives were having, we were having to teach our wives how to write checks, read broker statements, and know they were going to be financially okay. And I was shocked. And basically because of the pain that I saw these women having, I decided to create a class for women and money for our clients. And that was in 1994. Wow. And that class, that first, because you know how this is, right? You do your first workshop. You don't know if anyone's going to show up. I told my mom about it. My mom goes, David, so many of my friends are going through divorce. They're getting wiped out. You invite the clients and I'll invite my friends and we'll fill that room. And I rented out the Lafayette Park Hotel. That was this little hotel right in my little community. I live in this little suburb, Moraga and Arinda and Lafayette, these little tiny suburbs. And we sent the invitations out and we had 225 women want to come to the first seminar. Wow. And I, I caught my dad, looks at me, he, he's opening up the mail in the office and he says, um, you have a problem. And I go, what's the problem? He goes, are you sure that hotel can fit 200? He's like, we have 220 people who have RSVP'd. How big's the room? 
I go, oh, I don't know, Dad. It's a hotel. I'm sure it can fit. I call the hotel. They're like, uh, you can fit 107 people. So it was a good <laughs> problem to have. But what started me off was I taught that class, and I got asked for a book for women and money. What's a good book for women and money? It turned out there wasn't one out there. Nobody had done one. So I kept teaching for two or three years, and finally I was like, okay, I've got to put this in a book. If yeah. I, like, like you guys, like your, your higher calling. My higher calling became how can I empower one million women to take charge of their financial life so they can protect themselves, teach their kids, and help their family. Ooh, and that's that, good. That was smart women finish rich. And amazingly, like, and, and you're going to give me chills again, but you know, Rachel having me on her podcast, we were going to talk about the latte factor because that was my new book. But we talked a lot about Smart Women Finish Rich. And um, I got off that podcast because it it's been 20 years. That book's come out for its 20-year anniversary edition. I got that podcast and I called my wife and I said, first of all, this gal, Rachel Hollis, is <laughs> freaking unbelievable. She's like the next Oprah. I love her. And we just had the best podcast together. And I go, I just feel amazing from it. And I think we're going to help so many women across America because of this one podcast. And, and you know, she sees me. I mean, I'd done like 40 podcasts for this book promotion. She's like, wow. I'm like, you've got to go read her books. You've got to go read Girl, Stop Apologizing. So you've got to go read Girl, Wash Your Face. And she's like, okay, which should I read first? I'm like, well, I really like Girl, Stop Apologizing. Yeah, right. But they're both amazing. So uh, I, I just appreciate you guys so much because that show brought in new women, younger women, which is why I wrote The Latte Factor. I yeah. was really, it's for millennials, but I wanted to specifically reach. I'm biased. I wanted to reach young women because I was raised from my grandmother and I've just seen firsthand that if the mom takes charge of the finances, there's a better chance the kids will learn, which is the whole key. We don't teach our kids about money in school. And I just seen firsthand that quite frankly, if you're, if you're married, you need to be in charge of finances because it's unfortunately we go first now. Yeah. Let me ask the, the word rich, right? I grew up in this yeah. strange culture where my family, my church background, my just my upbringing had the the idea of finishing rich, a thing that had a little bit of a taboo around it. And I there's a distinction between like living into any of the negativity that may have been associated in my childhood with being rich and financial freedom. And I'm wondering like do you do you run into people that were like bizarrely wired like I was and have to like shake them into understanding that this isn't about opulence this isn't about gold palace building this is having the opportunity to make decisions about your go-go years happening yeah. earlier as opposed to the acquiring of a bunch of stuff so first of all you're not weird you're normal <laughs> i was raised weird we talked about investing at the dinner table Mm. Being a seven-year-old who, who's taught how to buy stocks, that's weird. What's normal is that nobody talks about money. Parents talk about sex more than they'll talk about money. And then the kids go off to college if they're fortunate enough to go off to college and they start making financial mistakes right away with, with debt. And we don't prepare our children properly to think about money. Yeah. So here's the thing. Rich is actually not where it starts. There's sort of like, I, I, if I'm going to simplify it, I'd say there's three layers. First, there's security. So the security layer, which is what everyone should start seeking first, is if I lose my job tomorrow, like the last recession, how many months of money do I have set aside before I'm homeless? Yeah. 
Like, like let that sit in right now because we're living in a booming economy. And people forget that when the lights go off, there's usually not a warning. <laughs> Nobody calls you up and goes, guess what? The recession is starting in six days, yeah. <laughs> right? And, <laughs> Prepare and, yourself. And so in the boom times, like we're in right now, people spend money like this is never going to end. It's like musical chairs. The music's never going to end. And then the music does end. By We will have another recession. This is the longest economic expansion of our lifetime. And before the last recession, I was on this crusade to get Americans to save, have six months of expenses set aside. Your goal should be to first secure your financial life for your family and decide as a family or personally, how many months of expenses you want set aside. Now, I happen to think more is better. So like, I got to tell you, like I always have two years of expenses set aside because anything can go wrong and you can get through two years. Yeah. And I've had so many people in the last recession come to me and say, you know, I worked for five years to get a year's worth of expenses set aside. And when the recession hit, we both lost our jobs and I would have been homeless if it wasn't for that year of cushion. Wow. So I would first say, you got to get security, do whatever you can to get money set aside for security. You need to do simple, basic things. Like if you're married and you have kids, one of the things you do for security is you buy insurance to protect your family in case you die tomorrow. Because most Americans have very little in assets. So if you're, if you're the husband, be the man and go get a term insurance policy. That's cheap. So that your family is protected if God forbid you die early. Um, and there are other things to do. You need to know where all your financial documents are. I teach people how to get their financial documents together so everything is organized. By the way, I mean, just this in and of itself for Rachel and I was a thing that for years are like where the bank account information is or if like you need to have access to the car title or whatever. Yeah. Lived in a manila envelope that said, I'm so sorry I died. Please open. Like, that that didn't feel. I mean, like it was me taking a step, but man, we've come so far from the Manila envelope days, yeah. where now she is inside of this conversation, even though it's not her love language, even though it's not the thing that she, you know, feels like she wants or needs to do. But she, it's not that she doesn't need to do it. She doesn't want to do it, but she knows she needs to do it because who knows? And it's such a grown-up thing to do. You know, lots of people, oh, I don't want to deal with them. Like, I know you don't, but it's a grown-up thing to do. Yeah. So when it comes to your money, like you sort of have to sometimes just suck it up and actually now be the grown-up. You can get away with being with nonsense when you're single. Right? Single, no kids, no responsibilities. That's different. Married, more responsibility. Children, now you gotta be a grown-up. Yeah. Um, and so that so that's security. And there's a lot, and I basically I break money down to three baskets: security, retirement, and dreams. So then there's the next level, which is, I'll just call it um, freedom. Now, now here's what's interesting about f freedom. Freedom is a, is a level in which it's very relative. Like for most people, having six months uh, to a year of expenses is actually more than security. It's freedom. And here's what it's freedom to do. It's freedom to quit a job you hate. Mm. Like when you ask people, like 60, 70% of people when they're polled, if they could walk away from their job today, if they had the financial freedom to walk away from their job, they would. Yeah. And and when also oh, by the way, when you ask them why, it's because they either hate their boss, hate their company, and don't have respect for the people that they work around. Yeah. And 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 that's a horrible thing. When if you're going to a job where you hate your boss, hate the company, and don't really respect the people you're around, then you're trading your life for money, and also it's soul sucking. So the, the, I always ask, because I love doing these money makeovers. I used to do a radio show. I'd ask a question. I'd say, how much money do you need to walk away from your job? And the fascinating thing about that is that the answer was always somewhere between a th shockingly low, 
about a thousand to ten thousand dollars. Wow. It wasn't people saying I need a million dollars or I need a hundred thousand dollars. On average, it's about ten thousand dollars. But I average doesn't matter. I'd ask yourself the question: like, if you're super unhappy right now with where you are, how much money do you need to buy your freedom? Then I'd focus on what do I need to do to get my expenses down so that I realize like I got to get to that freedom number as fast as possible to get free. You guys are amazing because you're teaching all these people who want to be self-employed, how to run their own businesses and how to build a business on the side. And that's what I did. I built a business on the side. You know, we're going to talk about you and Disney. Like you went from Disney to the Hollis company. I went from Morgan Stanley to building Finish Rich Media. Um, usually you don't just quit your day job. You, yeah. you, you save to have some money set aside so that you've got the freedom to then go take the leap of faith. Oh yeah, trust. It, right? took, it took a couple years of, frankly, trudging through me getting the safety net in yeah. place to be able to do the big change. But it was a thing that we had to plan for. And once it was planned, we got to roll. I'm holding up three fingers. The moment I decided that I wanted to make the change, that I wanted to leave Morgan Stanley and just write books and teach, and I hired a business coach, I said, I realize that my life's calling I think my life's calling. I don't, you know, it's always easier to say this effort's worked. I'm like, I think my life's calling is to go out and teach millions of people how to be smarter with their money so they can live and finish rich. And I can't do it at Morgan Stanley. Love my career at Morgan Stanley, yeah. but I need to be free to like write books, go on television. This is before social media. And um, I need to come up with a plan. And I worked on a three year plan. So again, back to like Florence, two year plan. Like, Things take planning. Yep. The ones that don't work are the ones where you just willy-nilly like, you know. Let's hope let's, that it works yeah, out. Let's just, you know what? Walk into a job tomorrow with no plan, quit your job. And like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Like, that's not a plan. Not ideal. So I said security, freedom, and then the last one is just complete abundance, right? Like more money than you could ever spend and the complete, uh, utter financial freedom to live off your assets. You really don't need to work because your assets produce income that you can live off of and then even more than that is to have a, more money than you can spend so you can just happily give it away to other give. people yeah and you know i always end my books on giving back and and i think that the one of the, you don't have to be rich to give back actually i teach that the sooner you give back the wealthier you can become you feel wealthier and you become wealthier so i love that all right we are at the end of our time together if there is a single thing that couples currently struggling in finance as a like barrier to their connecting the way that they hope in relationship or feeling as full for their family, what's the like single first thing that they need to do to try and get finances as a thing that is not a barrier to their exceptional pursuit of each other? All right, so this is gonna sound a little hokey. I like hokey, here we go. But I'm gonna challenge you. First of all, if you're in a relationship and money is an issue, or it's not even an issue. You just want to do better. You want to get on the same page. You want to start planning these things. You're like, I don't want to go to Florence, but I want to go here. I want to go to Hawaii or whatever that thing is. It starts by sitting down together and having a conversation. And the best way to have that conversation is to have what I call a money date. So a money date is where you, and it does, and, and it's, I've used this term for 20 years, ever since I put out Smart Couples Finish Rich. And sometimes people are like, oh, money, but like, it's more than money. It's sitting down and saying, you know what, let's just sit down and talk about where we want to go with our lives because it's going to take money to help us probably get there. And let's talk about, you know, come to the table with what you're afraid of instead of accusing the other person. Don't come to the person and say, like, 
I really want to get together with you, Dave, because you know what? You spend too much money on black yeah. t-shirts. I went through your closet <laughs> and there's 25 black t-shirts and, and that's why we're poor. Like, like that's a silly example, but it's not, right? Because what people do is they go into the accusation mode. Yeah. Say, you know, I'm just really afraid we haven't got money set aside in case one of us lose our job. I'm really afraid that if you die tomorrow and we've got three kids right now, we don't have an insurance policy to cover us. Like, bring up what it is you're afraid of because start with your fear, then go to your values. And I teach couples how to do what I call a values-based conversation. Uh, in Smart Couples Finish Rich, that literally takes you by the hand on how to have this money date. So you could go get the book, Smart Couples Finish Rich, open it up, read it together, have this money date and do this values conversation. And the values conversation is you sit down, you can do it with a yellow pad of paper. We did this on an Oprah show. You write out the five values that matter most to you. You start with that. You have a conversation around your values. And then you look at, is the way we're spending money aligning with our values? That's the fastest good. way to make changes. That's good. Where can people find you if they are interested in having more of your wisdom in their hands. Obviously, oh, you've got all these books. Latte Factor is the most recent yeah. of them, but the entire series, every single thing that you've ever written, is, uh, it's Thank been a you. tool that helps humans. Uh, and I know you're in the midst of writing new things, which is exciting too. <laughs> well, I, I am. And well, first thing I would say is, you know what? Go listen to the podcast that Rachel and I did, right? Because the, the podcast that you guys have True. that we did was, is a amazing podcast. Yeah. And we cover different things. So go check out that podcast. Go to my website, davidbach.com. And on my website, you'll find my courses, my blog. We've got a course we created around the Latte Factor, which is how to retire early if you want to. We've got a course called Start Late, Finish Rich that has had 42,000 people go through it so far. Um, one of the most popular online financial courses ever. And that's sitting at davidbach.com. Come visit me on Instagram and all the social media places. So All the things. Thank you, David Bach, for hanging out with me in Puerto Rico. Woo! You're a good dude. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the Rise Together podcast. If you like this episode, please share it in your socials and tag not just me. Tag Rachel Hollis. She's not here. Make her jealous for me getting to hang out with David Bach. <laughs> and tag David Bach. Tell us what you thought. We will be back next week. And when I say we, I mean me and Miss Rachel Hollis. Have yourself a fantastic week, and thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Rise Together podcast.